the sword's well done, and what a wonderful song that is. You know, it doesn't matter what others think of you. What matters is what God thinks of you, and um, what, a, what a great song. Open your Bibles again to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and I want you to look at verse number 11, and then we'll look at a couple other passages through the course of the message this morning. It's good to have visitors with us today. I don't know if I said that. If I didn't, I apologize because I'm always glad and honored to have visitors. I am a visitor at a church most every week, and I know what it's like to go into a church and uh, not know anyone other than maybe the pastor or one or two others, and, and uh, you're visiting from another church because you're passing through. Uh, things are different. Uh, we're uh, thankful that you're here and Aren't you glad for the same Bible, the same Spirit of God? And, and, uh, but we're glad that you're here this morning. Verse number 11, lest Satan should get and see. And I'm going to preach a message this morning on the subject, overcoming an advantage. Overcoming an advantage. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to receive your word. And may it be preached in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I pray that you would guide every word, every thought, every emotion. Uh, I pray that you would help me to be a simple instrument, a tool yielded to your hand that you may do exactly what you desire with this truth that this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to focus on that phrase that Paul used in his second letter to the church at Corinth where he says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. I want to get right to that statement, and then in a moment I'll give you some context around why that statement was used. I looked up the word advantage. Lest Satan should get an advantage. I looked that word up in Webster's Dictionary, Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Those were the days they defined words as they related to the Word of God. Uh, they gave us not an opinion definition, but a true uh, definition of a word. And the word advantage means any state or condition or circumstance that makes favorable to success, to prosperity, to interest, or reputation. The word advantage means to benefit. The word advantage means to gain. The word advantage means to profit. And in that 1828 version of the dictionary, he quotes this, uh, this verse right here, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. I want to preach on overcoming uh, that advantage. When Satan gets an advantage, how do I overcome? How do I make up the difference in that advantage that the devil may have gotten over me? Now, growing up in the 60s and 70s, in fact, until uh, the new millennium, uh, most of our games and recreations of life were competitions of strength and skill and running. How many times have you heard, uh, those of us that are a little bit older, you've heard the phrase or you've said it, I'll race you. Hey, maybe, uh, but uh, Ames, and, 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 and we would say, I'll race you to the barn and back, and, uh, or that, that was just one of the things that we did. We'd say how high we could jump, now jump somebody, always find somebody that was slower, uh, find somebody that couldn't jump over a broom handle, you know, and we, we, would, we would challenge them to some type of a, of a competition. But not only did we challenge them to a race, we looked for a way to get an advantage. 
we, we, we look for a way, and I don't know if I'd say cheat. You, you wouldn't cheat, would you? And, uh, but but to, to get an advantage, sometimes somebody wouldn't accept the challenge because they no, nah, I'm not racing you. And you'd say, I'll, I'll give you a five-second uh, uh, head start. I'll count to five. And he said, one, two, three, five, and we took off. And, uh, but, but, but that, was just a, that was just a challenge. That's what we did. And, and uh, the, sometimes uh, somebody was obviously bigger or older or faster. And so uh, we looked for a way to get an advantage over them. And then as we got older, it was a race with a bicycle or a race with a car. And you continue to do the same thing, try to get an advantage. Uh, you'd get a car with a four-barrel carburetor or you'd get jet fuel or something and put in it or uh, you're always looking for a way to get an advantage and sometimes even to cheat and that's what the devil does the devil's not in a race with me he is in a war against me and he'd like to take me out of the race he'd like to take you out of the race you see God has you here for a purpose, God has a design in your life and what the devil wanted to do, wants to do, he wants to get an advantage and just to take us out of the race. Paul had written a letter uh, to the church at Corinth uh, already because uh, there were some very serious issues in the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth would be much like modern America today. Uh, there were issues in the church, and if you read the first letter to uh, the church at Corinth, you would find that Paul dealt with carnality, uh, being carnal, not spiritual, not worldly, but sort of in between. I want to live in the world during the week, and I want to serve Jesus on Sunday, and, and as Dr. Lakin used to say, the church is getting so worldly, and the world is getting so churchy, I can't tell a difference in the two. That's what carnality is, and Paul dealt with carnality. He dealt with worldliness. He dealt with, dealt with immorality. He dealt with immodesty. He dealt with division and he dealt with uh, forgiveness. Now when an epistle like this, a letter like this was written, it was written with the intention of someone reading that to the church. Sponsor, they didn't appreciate the preaching. Uh, they didn't appreciate the letter. Uh, they didn't uh, appreciate the advice and the writing. And so uh, Paul went and just met with them. He said, hey, we're going to deal with this. We're not going to have this in church. I mean, uh, you didn't pay for the church. Christ did. And we're going to do right. We, we don't set the law. We abide by the law. It's what the Bible says. So Paul went and met with them personally. And then he wrote to them this second letter. And in this second letter, he deals again with some of these issues. And he said, hey, listen, the devil wants to get an advantage. We don't need to let Satan get an advantage. And he writes this second letter to help them overcome an advantage of Satan. Now, when Satan gets you down, uh, he gets ahead of us. He's going to defeat us. I contend one of the reasons we're losing today, we're not winning enough people to Christ in our nation is because so many Christians are defeated, they're discouraged, they don't see hope in Christ. Can I press, I, you know, they sent two shoe salesmen to a, uh, to a third world country and uh, one wrote a letter back and said, get me a ticket home. Nobody over here wears shoes. The other shoe salesman sent a letter and he said, send me all the shoes you got. Nobody wears shoes. Everybody's a customer. According to how you look at it, isn't it? I mean, you can look at it and say we're defeated or you can look at it and say, well, according to the book, we're still on the winning side. 
And so that's what Paul is writing to them about. Now, get this statement. Defeat in the life of a Christian is most always in the mind, and it always begins there. He wants to defeat us before we get started. Sort of like the uh, fella challenges us to a race that no one's ever defeated. You, you say, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Satan wants to intimidate us. He wants to get an advantage of us. There are three ways that the devil in categories gets advantage of us. Uh, sometimes he defeats us by reminding us of our past. He always wants to bring up our past. Can I tell you what's in the past? Leave it in the past. Let God put it in the sea of forgetfulness. If God's forgotten it, don't let the devil remind you of it. You get victory over your sin, move forward. That's what the devil wants to do is make you live in the past. All of us have failures in the past. I'm glad the past is in the past and today is a new day that I can serve God with. The second way the devil tries to get an advantage of us is to point out a lack in the present. Something we need but we don't have. Well, I could really do something for God if I had this. Or if I had that. May I say God is sufficient. Uh, God supplies all our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What the devil wants to do is point out a personal weakness or a lack of resources. Faith is saying, I don't see it, but I see him who sees it. I don't have it, but I see him who has it. I trust in him. So don't let the devil defeat you today by saying, well, I would serve God if I have this. No, let's serve him with what we have today. Or the devil wants to defeat us by causing us fear for the future. And that's what CNN and Fox News and all of them did all week this week, food to try to get you to give up on life because of the fear of the future. And uh, there's a worry about uh, food uh, shortage and a fuel uh, shortage. Uh, there's an attack on the family, an attack on firearms, and, and on and on. And we look at that and we say, well, I just don't see any hope. Well, you're not looking high enough if you don't see hope. But the devil, he wants to get an advantage of us. He wants to get, you remind him of his us by reminding us of the past. When he reminds us of our past, you remind him of his future and move on. He wants to tell us what we don't have. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on him that you do have. Or he will get us to fear what's going to happen in the future. If God's past performance is an indication of what God can do in the future, then I'm not going to let, let the devil discourage me by causing me to fear the future. Now, when Satan gets us worried or living in one of those three areas of concern, I know it's true because I talk to preachers that are discouraged, and God help us, if preachers are discouraged, we are in trouble. If dads are discouraged, we're in trouble. Hey, folks, it doesn't matter what the stock report said this week, what the stock market said. What matters is what the book said. I didn't come to report on the New York Stock Exchange. I came to report on the heaven's wealth today and the power of God. And so when Satan gets us worried or living in one of these three areas of concern rather than focusing on purpose of life and the will of God for our lives, Satan gets an advantage of us. So I'm going to give you three things today helping us. To First of all, I want you to focus on God on his throne. All power is given unto me, Jesus said, in heaven and in earth. 
you understand that the world that we are worried about, they are headed for destruction. Those who have faith in Christ are headed for victory. The psalmist made a major mistake being discouraged and almost quitting because he was comparing himself to others and how they were doing and wasn't paying any attention as to where they were going. I'd rather travel a rough road to a place of victory than a paved road to a place of defeat. And the psalmist said, when I looked up and I saw where they were headed rather than how they were doing, I then was hurting for them, wanting them to have what I have in Christ. And so this morning I must point you and advance God on the throne. How many times did God show his power and advantage over the enemies of God's people? Can, can I tell you something I'm excited about this morning? I, I, I'm excited. Folks are asking me everywhere, how in the world do you afford to build with the inflation? How do, how do you afford to build with things as they are? Aren't you worried? Aren't you afraid? Well, when I talked to God, he wasn't a bit worried. He wasn't a bit afraid. And every famine I read of in the Bible was not to cause people to worry, but to cause them to increase their faith in God. And the famine was an opportunity to say, your blessings are not coming from your circumstances anyway. Your blessings are coming from the God of heaven. There was a crowd that said, as Psalm 78 verse 19 says, Yea, they spake against God, and they said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Well, the answer is simple. Yes. <laughs> he can. He not only can prepare a table in the wilderness, he made the wilderness. And he made the rock. And he gave the manna from heaven. I must say, folks, we cannot go through this week discouraged and down and defeated. Our God is still on the throne. We must recognize today that God desires to bless us. And I'm excited to be building, not just to be growing as a church, but to be growing in a time when folks say, isn't it sort of crazy to be building a building? I mean, just after COVID and just after this and just after that. Hey, you're looking in the wrong direction. Lift up your eyes, my friend, and see there's a God in heaven. And our job is not to save the earth. Our job is to win every person we can to Christ. And God enables us, empowers us, and provides us the ability to do that. Malachi chapter 3, verse number 10, he said, Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you, the way you receive it. There was a time, 1 Kings 17 is a story of a widow woman at Zarephath. There was a time of famine. She had a difficult time anyway as a widow, and a famine had come and made it even more difficult. The prophet comes to the widow of Zarephath. I'm just telling you what God's will. This story is out. Every time I've ever mentioned it, it bothers me because the man of God asked the woman for a meal. 
And she said, I only have enough food for one more meal, and my son and I, we're going to eat that meal, and then we're going to die. And the man of God said, God would have you to make me a meal. And she did. She made that last meal. To her surprise, when she went back to the barrel, there was not a full barrel of, of meal, but there was enough meal for another meal. And so she put off her dying to the next day. And the next day she went to the barrel and there was just enough meal there for that day's food supply. So she put off her dying for another day. And you know what she did? She put off her dying until the famine was over and God cared for her. Now you read the scripture and Jesus talks about this story. There were many widows that died in the famine. But one had an opportunity to express her faith in God. And as she expressed her faith in God, hey folks, I'm telling you, today is not the day to doubt God. Today is a day to understand God's the only place we can have faith and we ought to have faith in God. I don't want the devil getting advantage of me revving his engine. I don't want that to cause me to be afraid. I don't want the devil to scare me, to frighten me by pointing out the circumstances. I want to point out to him, buddy, every person you ever put up against God was defeated. Pharaoh was defeated and Nebuchadnezzar was defeated and Nero, and I'm not afraid of you, of you either because God is still on the throne. Let me give you the second way to overcome the advantage. Focus on the truth and stability of God's word. We're living in a day where every law known to me, I, I mean, it, it, it almost sounds like a circus. It, 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 it looks like a circus going on in our world today. I mean, it's crazy. You know, they, they say we want to lower the age to vote to age 16. We want to raise the age to buy a gun to age 21. We don't want this book in our schools, but we want drag queens in the kindergarten class. And it's like, did I hear that right? I mean, do I have vertigo that bad? I mean, is it really? But when I point my mind and my heart and my attention to the word of God, I realize that God's word always stands. I want you to hear this statement. I've made it often through the years. I want you to hear it. You don't break the laws of God. You break yourself against the laws of God. You can get on a hundred-story building and declare that you're going to break the law of gravity, and you may fly for a few seconds. And you can brag, and that's what the world is doing today. They're bragging that they've broken the law of gravity as they've jumped off a hundred-story building. And I'm saying you're not breaking the law. You're about to be broken by the law because God's word always stands. I want you to take your Bible and go with me to Isaiah chapter 40. I want you to walk with me through this chapter this morning in Isaiah chapter 40. I'm pointing you this morning to the word of God. Preacher of yesteryear, Vance Havner, was watching Walter Cronkite one evening. Walter Cron Cronkite ended his newscast as he always did. That's the way it seems. This is the way it is. I hold in my hand the law of God. 
you can't amend it. You can take the Parliament you can, of, 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 of Britain. You can take the Knesset of, of uh, Israel. You can take the Congress of America. They can convene. They can make one government. And they're not going to be able to amend one single word in this book. It is forever settled. Build your marriage on this book. Raise your children on this book. Live your life by this book. Young people, you'll never break the laws of God. You'll break yourself against the laws of God. Now, here's what the Bible says. Let's begin in verse number 6. The voice said, cry, and said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth. Now, wait a minute. He said, all flesh is grass. And then he says, the grass withereth. And you know what he's saying here? And so does the flesh. The flower fadeth because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth. Notice these words. But the word of God shall stand forever. It stood tall in the 1700s and in the 1800s and the word of God stands in 2022 and as long as God tarries his coming, it will stand and for all eternity his word is settled in heaven. Look at verse number 9. O Zion that bringest good tidings, get thee up into uh, the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. That's exactly what I'm preaching today. Hey, look at God, look at his word. Verse number 10, Behold the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm. I love this. I read this to my wife yesterday. And carry them in his bosom. Notice this. And shall gently lead those that are with young. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that good? We've got a mighty good God. Look at verse number 10. I'm going to tell you right now. Spiritual warfare is going on. He's trying to tell you don't listen to him read the Bible. Don't listen to the word of God. You know why? The word of God has far more power than the words of man to give somebody a gospel track. This will cause you to go away this morning with faith in God and faith in his word. Look at verse number 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor hath taught him with whom took he counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as a small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. You know what he's saying? We got a great big God. You need to have faith in the great big God and not be worried about the little bitty things that are compared to God. 
I want you to go with me to the end of the chapter. You ought to read all of this chapter this week. It is so very good. Verse 29, he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I pray this morning God will renew our strength in serving Him. God will renew our strength in the rearing of our families. God will renew our strength in the preaching of the gospel in this generation. God will renew our strength in Him. How to overcome the advantage. First of all, I look to God. Second of all, I look to the scripture. Third of all, don't miss this. Focus on God's will for our lives. Circumstances do not change God's will in my life. They magnify God's will in my life. Jeremiah 29, 11, I'll read it to you. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, this is God speaking, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 15, For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Did you get that? If I do the will of God, you know what I do? I'm thing to cry aloud against the evil and wrong that's going on. And that ought to be done. But the way I overcome is to rear children to love God. You know, Hannah prayed for a child at a time when they said, why would you want a child now? This is a wicked time in the history of Israel. She said, I want a child that I can give to God, that I can rear in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And God gave to her not just a son, but a son that became the prophet. I say to you this morning, focus on the will of God for your life. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Christians driven by the will and work of God will not be stopped by the foolishness of the world. Joseph was not stopped by the foolishness of his brothers. How did he do it? He focused on God's will for his life. Nehemiah was not stopped by Sanballat and Tobiah and, uh, and, and those that tried to stop him. Why? He was focused on the will of God. I'm excited about what God's doing. In my life, our lives, and in our church today. I'm thankful as I hear from our young men and preachers around the country and around the world. You know why? Because they're focusing not just on the negative. They're overcoming the negative by winning men to Christ. Where I am engaged in God's will for my life, it helps me to overcome challenges and hindrances of Satan. Let me give you this statement. We were on vacation this past week, so we were away from home and had someone to water flowers and so forth while we were gone. Yesterday evening, as I had finished preparing for preaching and I was working and on the end of it, and I'm in front of the house. I've got a little stick with a sharp cutter on the end of it, and I walked through those flowers and I killed and cut out every weed in there. You know, I, did, I didn't go through the neighborhood looking for weeds. Now, now there's a purpose of this story. I didn't go through the neighborhood looking for the weeds. 
I didn't want those weeds around my flowers. If you don't have a purpose in life, you're not going to enjoy God working in your life. I, I, I got rid of the weeds that were trying to get my flowers. The purpose of the flowers is what caused me to get rid of the weeds. Can I tell you, dear friend, I'm not just against what's going on in the world and the foolishness. God has a will for my life and that purpose of my life, that's what drives me. There are folks sitting home today absolutely just miserable what's happening in their nation. I want to say to you, let's do something about it. There is a generation headed to destruction. There's a generation of children. Somebody needs to tell them. God created you and God loves you and God gave his son to redeem you and because of Adam you have a fallen nature but you can be born again and have a new nature in Christ my life is wrapped up in fulfilling God's will now if you don't, if you don't focus on God's purpose in your life you're just going to be frustrated with all the weeds and all the problems in the world focus on the will of God. Stand with me this morning. How do we overcome Satan's advantage? How do we overcome the advantages of Satan? How? I focus on God on his throne. I focus on the stability and the eternal word of God. And third of all, I focus on God's will for my life. You know who, you know what teenagers going to? Those that determine to do the will of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we live in a time that's different than we've ever seen before. As we study history, we find that there have been nations and cultures that are like the one we're living in today. And there's not a single one that the Word of God could not make a difference in. And I pray that you'd help us not to focus on an advantage of Satan but to focus on the things that would help us to overcome that advantage. Help us to go away with a focus on who you are, with a focus on your eternal word, and a focus on your will for our lives. Bless our invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be